For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, aka the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Welcome to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, where we help new and beginning teachers navigate through those crazy first years of teaching so you can maintain your sanity and personal life. Here's your host, Kim LaPree. Welcome to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, episode number 21. Thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I'm your host, Kim LaPree, and this is the podcast for new and beginning teachers who don't want to just survive those first few years, but actually thrive. Today, I have a special guest, Dr. Sam Fesich, who is an assistant professor and instructional technologist at Grove City College over in Grove City, Pennsylvania. Now, I invited Sam on the show because I wanted to talk with her about her brand new book, Edgy Magic, which is a book that is geared towards pre-service teachers who are out there trying to figure out how to teach, figure out their why, and how to become the best possible teacher that they can be. What drew me to Sam is not only the fact that she is working with pre-service teachers, and you know that I like to work with beginning and newer teachers, but also the fact that her passion is to help pre-service teachers learn how to integrate technology purposefully and not just have it be this shiny new thing. In her conversation, it goes all the way from learning how to build your personal learning network or PLN all the way to attending conferences. So we cover a lot and I know that you're going to get a lot out of this. So here's my conversation with Sam. Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me on uh, on the podcast. I really like your show. Every time I listen to it, I feel like you're just talking to me. And I think the content that you have in there is just relatable for all people, no matter what year you are, if you're beginning or ending or in the middle of your career, I think the advice that you have on your show is just phenomenal. So I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Um, Can you please tell my listeners about your teaching experience and how you came to your current teaching position? Absolutely. Um, So right now I'm a professor at Grove City College, which is a little north of Pittsburgh uh, in Pennsylvania, where I teach courses related to ed tech and special education. But before that, I uh, got my PhD uh, from Penn State in learning design and technology, a couple of master's degrees along the way. But before all that, I was a special ed teacher in a multiple disabilities classroom, and it was the best job I ever had. It, working with kids um, every day and 
and impacting their lives in ways that I never thought possible using tech just really rocked my teaching world. So I really enjoyed that. But opportunities came up where you, to learn more and grow and just, you know, that's where I am today. So it's a great it was a great journey. I had read something on your blog about virtual cooperating teachers. And I was kind of interested in that because you teach incoming teachers, new teachers, people who want to be teachers. And I thought, what do you mean by virtual? How does that work? In my class um, in ed tech, when I first taught it, I had students doing um, infographics and making canvas and doing things just because I said that they were cool and they should do them based on the standards, you know, of our state. And you know, and I was like, you know what, it's not really authentic or meaningful for them. So I was like, well, maybe I'll look into co-ops. Well, we're often limited by our geographic location, which makes sense, right? We only have so many hours a day to get to a school and work with a teacher. So I decided to reach out to my PLN to educators from around the world and say, hey, you know what, I'm doing this ed tech class. And I think it'd be really cool if I could partner with a subject that they want to teach one day. So now you ask them, hey, I'm doing a lesson on continents next week. Uh, can you make a Canva poster about it? And they say, oh, yeah, I can totally do that. So they do. And they send it to you. And it's up to you to use it or not um, and give feedback on their project. So now it's authentic for them. You have a cool thing to use in your classroom that has a different perspective or a different view on things. Um, and your kids get to experience something different. And I've partnered with teachers uh, from around the world on this project. Oh, so wow. some from Canada and Africa, most are from the United States, uh, but all of them are from my PLN. And it's it's a beautiful thing, especially whenever they get to meet in person. I've had a couple of co-ops um, or pre-service teachers actually go to see their co-op during observation hours over breaks or something because they live local or to, in that state that the co-op lives in. So that's always a lot of fun when they tweet out pictures like, hey, I met my co-op. Like, yay! So <laughs> That's <laughs> super cool. It's that connection to content and they're building their PLN in the same breath. So it's phenomenal. Now with the teachers who are they volunteering for this co-op, the ones in your PLN who are helping out? Yeah, it's all volunteer and it, it's a beautiful relationship. <laughs> That's awesome. So you mentioned that you teach an ed tech class for teachers, which I think is awesome because I do still get teachers who come in and they're like, you know, I no, I thought I knew how to use technology, but now that I'm here, I don't know how to use all this other stuff. Like they don't use Google Drive the way that we do. They might use it to save all of their photos or do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. what motivated you to teach that class and what inspires you in terms of the curriculum for that class? So in that class, I didn't just want it to be uh, one new tool after another in the class, like here's Flipgrid and now next week we're going to do Kahoot and then we got to that, we're going to do this thing. I didn't really want it to be like that. I wanted to frame it in some sort of manner that made sense. Um, so the students are still learning about ways technology can fit purposefully in their classroom. So the big thing in my class I try to stress to them is technology is not an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something you add on and it's not something shiny and sparkly that you just wave in front of students and they engage with it. You have to use it meaningfully. So the way I do that is through the Danielson framework for teaching. So we go through all the domains and components and then we put technology and we embed it where it fits best. So, for example, my, my go to example is um, 1B, getting to know your students. And one way we can do that using technology in a meaningful way is Google Forms or Microsoft Forms, whichever one you want to use. Mm -hmm. And you can collect the data, get to know your students, or use it to get to know your parents. That's something in Domain 4. Um, 
and you still have that data right in front of you. So now you're you're using technology in a way that fits that component. I do think that in the beginning, especially because like my school, we were one-to-one for about six, seven years now. And in the beginning, it was just, let's do everything with technology because we have it. And then, you know, after a while, we're like, okay, wait a minute, we're not really doing anything purposeful. So I really love that you're not just teaching them the different tools that teachers use, but also, okay, so what, how is this augmenting the learning, you know, helping students learn as opposed to just how are we entertaining them? And have you had them like when they go out into their student teaching, have they gone back and, and talked to you about how their experience with incorporating technology has been? Yeah, so I've actually had a couple of student teachers that will come back during their student teaching or after their student teaching because they take my class their freshman year. So I've had a couple of students who, before they go out to student teach, like, hey, what's new in the past three years? So I'll talk about, you know, some new things that I've added, um, you know, um, to the course or technology tools that they they may be able to work with. But one of my favorite stories that's um, shared a little bit is uh, from Olivia Burge, who taught, I believe it was sixth grade, I could be wrong on that, it was middle school, uh, where she was doing biomes. And instead of doing just a PowerPoint presentation about biomes, she got, uh, we uh, we have a curriculum library where we have special equipment just for our ed majors. And she borrowed all of our um, Google Cardboards. And mm-hmm. all the students got to use Google Cardboard and experience um, a Google Expedition and explore different biomes. And they had students think about what they're seeing, you know, what are you wondering about? So it was a great way for them to experience the learning in a different way using some some neat tools. Oh, wow. And I'm sure like she's going to bring that with her, you know, for the rest of her career because she had access to that. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, so I'm just curious. So you were mentioning, you know, like some different apps that I had heard of. Are these ones that you've tested out or just ones that you talk to? other cooperating teachers about or how do you stay fresh with what's going on in terms of technology and education? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I stay fresh by being engaged on Twitter and see what other people are doing in their classes. So I follow a lot of teachers in K-12, all different subject areas, all different specialty areas, and I see how they're using the tools and I incorporate those into the classes. Um, So this year, a new tool that I'm using uh, a little bit more is Flipgrid right. um, and having students do introductions with those. I think that's fantastic. And it's free. And I tell my now, students yeah. that we specialize in free as teachers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to stay current is Instagram and Twitter, just staying connected and going to ed camps and workshops and just being around, just being around amazing educators and getting inspired. I definitely find that um, I can find more in terms of like what people are using for technology, I can find more on Twitter. Um, Like I do find a lot on Instagram, but it seems like a lot of Instagram is, this is what my lesson was. Um, This is what my bulletin board looks like. And, and Twitter, I feel like people really dive into, you know, I'm testing this out. What do you guys think? Or how have you guys used, you know, this particular tool? So I really love the Twitter verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can expand more a little bit. Instagram, I think, is for the pretty pictures and how how your classroom looks, how that awesome uh, worksheet looks or whatever it may be that you're doing. Um, End product that students have done uh, in Twitter, I think, has a little bit more meat to it as to how they used it, what their students thought. And you can have that conversation going, I think, a little bit better with Twitter with a direct person. Right. Now, 
You have done something that I think is absolutely amazing. You have written a book and it's called Edu Magic, which I think is really cute. I love that term. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, I it's... love the name. <laughs> but then when I learned that it's actually an acronym and not just a cute name, that really blew my mind. So can you tell me more about how you came up with that? How those words, those letters magically came together with a really good acronym? I know. I couldn't believe it happened either. <laughs> uh, so I, I was sitting at Starbucks with my husband one day when it happened. It just happened that these, you know, I was messing around with these letters and how I'm going to name these chapters. And I was like, oh my gosh, it makes a word. Look at that. So the one that, the only one that we had problems with was the A for always be. So I had so much stuff in that, in that chapter. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to cut it. Always be and just have little subsection, subsections in there. And it worked out. So right. Edgy Magic was born. And so, um, so the other chapters, um, E stands for educate and engage oftentimes uh, for those general ed courses. Um, some students may approach it as busy work. I'm never going to use this. So in this chapter, you know, we talk about some ways to overcome that. Maybe right. you're looking at pedagogy or strategies that are being used. So that's a fun thing. Um, and one of my favorite chapters is digital presence, where uh, students learn to own their presence. It's theirs. So they need to own it and start, you know, showing and shining a light on things that they're doing in their classes, what they're learning, what are they producing, what are they creating, how are they connecting with others out there? Because I think it's going to help them in the long run, even if they start as early as freshman year. And now I have a quick question on that. Uh, so on the D, you know, I, I wonder if that could ever be overwhelming for a new teacher where they have to worry about, like you said, like the pretty pictures on Instagram. Do you have a platform that you find to be more helpful for, you know, new teachers that are in the program? Um, I require my students to use Twitter, uh, but I think I'm going to start opening that up probably this semester. I'm going to ask them and see what they think. Also opening it up to Instagram because I think I'm starting to have that generation gap. <laughs> We're there more on Instagram. And I hate to say that. I sound so old. Um, so I think I think they're on Instagram and they're using it per, for personal use, which is fantastic, which is great. You go and do that. But now let's amp it up a little bit. How can we make a professional profile? How can we kind of turn the table on that? So whenever we're Googled, um, some great stuff's coming up about us, positive and professional. Um, so I, I've noticed a lot of pre-service teachers on Instagram. Here's my cool bulletin board. Here's what my students are doing check out this awesome go noodle dance that we're doing, you know, they're, they're engaging on that platform in a different way than on Twitter. But I, but I also think Twitter is a good place to go too, because that's where a lot of current educators are administrators and they want to connect with you. And I, maybe it's my generation. I find it a little bit more easier to connect with people on Twitter, um, like school districts, um, administration and faculty, uh, it's easy. I think I can go follow them and like write, write a little message to them. I think I could do that on Instagram too, but it might be a little bit different. I think it's a lot harder actually on Instagram to find principals and administrators and thought leaders um, come and, and having them share something where I can learn on Instagram. Whereas on Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. for the series that I had on um, with different principals and they told me about their hiring practices, it was so much easier for me to find those principals on Twitter. I just had to search the hashtag principal and find who sounded like a good fit. But on Instagram, it's I don't know, <laughs> I feel like it's it's just a different purpose, I guess. 
Um, I feel like right. Twitter right. is more for the professional pro- professional development part, and Instagram is more for the community aspect. Now you said digital presence, and now you have Unite the PLN. Oh yeah, Unite the PLN. That's a great segue. Absolutely. <laughs> so I try to get my students on Twitter. Uh, now it's going to be I'm going to add Instagram this semester, but definitely Twitter and get them involved in Twitter chats, um, connecting with authors, connecting with with leaders in their field, uh, following administrators, following other educators in their content area or in their grade level that they want to do. Making that connection now. I think it's going to carry them a long way. Mm-hmm. And in that chapter, I share a great story about one of my former students and now really great friend, Hannah Turk, who she talks about her journey on Twitter, how she became a, uh, not so big fan of Twitter to now she, um, co-moderates NT2T, which is a new teacher, new teacher to Twitter chat on Saturday mornings. So I think that's a great way for people to look and see, um, see her journey and maybe they can relate to it because mm-hmm. not everybody fall, falls in love with Twitter in a semester and that's okay. Right. Um, so, yeah. So the next one is megapixels. And that's a word for my dad. He uh, made that up as a word to uh, mean sprinkles like on a cupcake or sprinkles on a donut. I don't know why. This is what he did. Uh, so this is all about taking those regular ordinary lessons and just uh, putting some pixie dust on them, making them a little bit more engaging and magical um, like Olivia did. So instead of just showing the PowerPoint presentation, immersing students into the biomes uh, using the Google expeditions, mm-hmm. uh, an example of that. Um, and the next chapter, the A in edu magic is always be and It's like always be a good human. Uh, type chapter, like yes. advocate for yourself, be gracious, be kind, be mindful, just like some little tips, you know, throughout your college career, you don't want to forget. Um, G is get out and that's separated into three different categories. Um, get out of the classroom. So like go to conferences, go to workshops, go to ed camps, get out of the classroom and learn from other people. Um, get out of your regularly scheduled programming. So that means like, don't just take your regular old coursework, add in an independent study, or maybe do what uh, Becky Krupp did, and she created. She wrote a grant and created a STEM program for kids with special needs in the area. It was so cool, and so that is all in that in that chapter. And then the last one, get out of your comfort zone. So maybe if you're doing, um, so for freshmen in college, if you're doing an observation, don't just go to your mom's school because she's the easiest person to contact. Get out of your comfort zone. Contact somebody's maybe in a different school or a different um, type of setting that you're used to. You never know what it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. So just try something new. And then the last one, as a huge Princess Bride fan, um, inconceivable. And that's about using technology um, to engage students in ways that no other way can. Right. Uh, so engaging them in the learning process in meaningful ways. Um, and then the last one, the co-op's gone virtual which is kind of a fun title. Uh, we talked <laughs> about the virtual co-op program, right. but this this chapter really details how it all began and how to get one started. I really like a couple of these. When I read Inconceivable, you know, of course, then I couldn't get that those quotes out of my <laughs> head um, when I was reading that. Of and, course, yeah, of course, they're just they're just always stuck. And I like this because I'm not going to lie, as a veteran teacher. I kind of get stuck in a certain way of teaching material and I don't always have the time to find new ways to deliver my lessons. And so what I really love is getting inspiration from new teachers because they see things differently. They are a lot closer to the age 
of the students that I'm teaching. And so I love to get their spin on it and how they can be creative so that I can add to my own repertoire. So I feel like we're both learning from each other. You know, I can teach Mm -hmm. them some of the classroom management and, and assessment and things like that. And they can just show me how to mix it up because, you know, I'm old and (laughs) I have a certain way of doing (laughs) things. And so I love to hear what they have to say. Going back to with the U for the Unite and then I don't know if that, oh, and the digital presence. So I wanted to go back to Instagram because I, I have mixed feelings about Instagram. I do like it because I feel like I can see what other people are doing, but I also feel like there's a lot of, it, it might give new teachers the feeling of the shoulds, like, oh, I should be doing this. My room should look like this, you know, like, like the FOMO with Instagram and and so I'm wondering, how can teachers find balance between that in terms of, you know, feeling like they're participating in there and and hopefully not worrying too much about the likes, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. there's that. Right, but, right. But then also using it as something that's more aspirational as opposed to something that's more like anxiety inducing. I think. I think that go to go along with that would be the Pinterest perfect classroom. Your classroom has to look like it's Pinterest worthy. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely not true, especially especially for new teachers. We are broke. We have no <laughs> money to buy all the cute things at Target. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think looking at them for inspiration and maybe finding some ideas that you could you could incorporate in small ways and taking baby steps towards towards those goals, but not having it be something you accomplished your first year and being okay with that. Um, I think on, on Instagram as well as Pinterest, you know, people are posting pictures of their classroom and every classroom needs to fit your needs and your style and be able to be a place for kids to learn. It doesn't need to be beautiful and, and, and all, you know, all jazzy. It just needs to be a place where kids can learn and engage in the content and, and have relationships with each other and relationship with you. So as long as you have that, then, and it's Pinterest worthy. Right. And also you can build that over time. I mean, I absolutely I would hope that no teacher takes out a credit card just to pimp out their classroom so that mm-hmm. they can show it off on Instagram. And, and I worry right. about that, though, that deep down inside, they can't help but want to have the glossiness of Instagram, which is why, again, I I do prefer to to go on Twitter for that reason, because I feel like people there are kind of getting serious about curriculum. They're getting serious about pedagogy and lesson delivery. And when I scroll on Instagram, I I kind of feel like I'm just, I don't know if what I'm seeing is going to teach me how to become a better teacher. Mm, That's really interesting. I like that. I I agree with that. Um, I think on Twitter, it's more conversational. It's deeper. Instagram is here's an idea or here's something that I did, but not much, not much more than that. I think that's the nature of the platform. Right. And then going back to megapixels, which I love that. <laughs> that <term laughs> Shout out too. to dad. Yes. Good job. <laughs> and so how can teachers balance, you know, refining, refining the delivery of their lessons with adding these megapixels to those lessons without getting again, like overwhelmed is my lesson going to be engaging enough versus, you know, am I getting, am I covering the material? 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it's all about being honest with yourself and your reflection of the lesson. So really think through how did that lesson go seriously? Like, okay, come on. You know, what went well? Because there's things that went well. What could be improved? Because honestly, I think there's always an area of improvement. Um, I, there always is. I mean, there's there's no perfect lesson. And being okay with that fact that there's no perfect lesson. Right. Um, but truly, truly asking yourself those reflection questions and then making small tweaks over time, um, whether that be next month, you try a similar type activity or next period. You know, right. if you're teaching a class that meets multiple periods, you can make those small tweaks, you know, by the eighth period, you got this down pat girl. But yeah. um, if it's something you're going to teach next month, really think about, you know, okay, if I were to do this again, maybe I would add a timer up on the board. So I was um, accountable for my own timing and students knew how much time they had to discuss in their small groups or whatever it may be and seeing how it goes. If it worked great, try to get, if it doesn't go back to the drawing board, what, what else can I keep improving? Right. And also be, I feel like to add to that, also be ready to pivot. So, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's a skill that takes a while because you don't necessarily have, you know, a secondary lesson if this part doesn't work or knowing when to jump ahead or stop and fall back. And that took me actually a few years to get that where, okay, I see blank looks. I'm missing something somewhere. (laughs) I I assume that you knew something. And this actually just happened to me recently when I was teaching my students about um, proper citation when they're embedding quotes And we went through it and they looked super happy, like they knew what they were doing. I said, okay, now do it all on your own. And here's, you know, an exercise where I want you to prove that you learned how to properly embed quotes. And they all got it wrong. And so then I had to sit there and I didn't blame them. I looked Mm -hmm. at myself and I said, okay, Kim, what did you miss? What what information did you assume, assume that they knew from sixth grade? Do you know what I mean? And so. Right, right. I had to, like you said, do the reflection part. And so then I had to backtrack and I did a lesson on like a positives and punctuation. And then I showed them how it applied to embedding quotes and, and it worked out, but I didn't feel like a failure. I just sat there and said, okay, so they got this information. I need to go back and fix some things and then move forward. So I think that um, I really want to emphasize for my listeners here that the reflection part and making tweaks and not getting too down on yourself when it doesn't go right, like that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I love your idea of pivoting. I think that it comes with time and being able to read the room mm-hmm. and seeing, oh, yeah, they didn't get that. I need to go back or ask them, okay, guys, are we cool? Are you guys understanding this? Do I need to go back and, and 
rephrase that maybe. Um, and just being able to do that, I think takes time, but that's okay. You'll get it. And some self-confidence. I mean, I admitted to my students, you know what, guys, I messed up. It's not your fault. Like we all did this incorrectly. It's not you. It's me as cheesy as that sounds. And I said, so we're going to backtrack and do this again. They're like, oh, okay. And they saw me as human, you -hmm. know, so that's so important. Right. It is. And even at 17 years here, this is my 17th year. It's like, I, I love admitting when I'm wrong to my students because I feel like it brings us closer. I agree. I think that's great for them to see us as people. Mm-hmm. Not just the talking head at the front. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so something that really stuck out when I was reading your book is you had mentioned going to conferences a few times. And I'm not going to lie, I get some anxiety when I go to conferences because I get overwhelmed. I'm like, there's so much here and there's so many people um, and I can't imagine what it'd be like for pre-service teachers. Have you gone with them before to conferences? Yes. Yes, I have. And it's a fantastic experience. I, I've i enjoyed it and they, they've always come back renewed and excited and on fire. And it's, it's really a cool thing to see them be like, Oh, I'm so nervous. And then like, by the time the conferences are like, I got this, let's see, what's the next one. So I, I like, I try to prep them before we go. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. guys, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. There's going to be keynotes. There's going to be sessions, there's going to be workshops. And there might be even vendors at this one. So plan strategically. So I tell them find, like, if we have like the conference um, sessions ahead of time and you know, at a time that we're not presenting or, or doing something at a poster session, I'm like, hey, find two that you really want to see and then find like a backup maybe just in case that month's full. So trying to focus on like one or two sessions, don't try to go to all five sessions. Right. That's okay. You don't have to go to all five because I, I also think that some of the best learning happens in the hallways or during mm-hmm. lunch or during shared coffee or whatever it may be. I think that's when you do some of your best growing and learning as a teacher. And I've had students come away with um, principals asking them, you know, when they graduate, they want them to contact them. There's not a lot of pre-service teachers at conferences, so they really do stand out and administrators take notice. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the book, I share one story about Jordan Pastilli, who's a current junior uh, secondary history major. And she came to a conference with me. Her and I did a a poster session about virtual co-ops. And she was selected to be a um, end of the conference, like wrap up person, like say five things, like some takeaways and things like that. And um, so she stood up in front of about, I'd say 200, 250 educators and Mm -hmm. shared what she learned about that day. And a superintendent pulled me aside and she said, that is a student I want to watch. She's one to watch. So I thought that was so cool. Yeah. So, I mean, they're getting noticed, they're making connections, and they're learning and growing. And I think if you can try to get to a conference, or um, if that sounds a little too scary, try an EdCamp. EdCamps are phenomenal ways to grow and network and learn. I definitely, I see a lot of, you know, value in conferences. And me, with my anxiety, that's my own hangups. But I have to agree that in between when we're having our meal and we're sort of digesting what we just learned and sharing with each other. It's kind of like when you have kids do a think pair share after they learn something and they have to sort of, you know, make sense of it. And I really found that 
those conversations, taking what we learned and having those conversations, it made the material last a long time because I know that sometimes you can go to a conference, you're bombarded with all these sessions and maybe you act on one thing. Maybe you only apply one thing to your classroom because you had too much coming at you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never thought of it like that. Like as I think Paris share over a bill. That's a yeah. great analogy. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> Cause I, like I went to ISTE. Have you gone to ISTE before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is. Just, it, it's overwhelming. <laughs> it is really. And then even when you just go to where the vendors are and I feel like I'm going to the SWAT meet, you just keep walking and walking and walking. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to tell them, you guys, I don't have any buying power. You. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. <laughs> I don't know why you're selling this to me. I can't buy that iPad case. You have to talk to my district, but mm-hmm. I really right. did. I kind of, I like watching other educators too. I know that sounds weird, not like in a creepy way, but I like to see educators <laughs> being educators. Do you know what I mean? Like in person and interacting with each other. And I can see that that would be valuable also for pre-service teachers to see how, you know, people who are more experienced than them, how they're interacting with each other so they can figure out how they sort of also fit into that. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's the, um, phenomenal conference. I like to go and focus on like one or two things a day mm-hmm. and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Cause otherwise I'm going to attend every session, but you can't. I know. Everything I know. sounds I, really yeah. good. Um, it, it really does. So you, you had mentioned that you teach freshmen. So then mostly freshmen uh, in the ed tech class. Right. Okay. So then knowing that they're going to go on for another, you know, four years, is it four years or two years for the credentialing? Right. Four years. Okay. So what are what are your top five takeaways that you hope stick with them all the way until they become a classroom teacher? Oh, I like that question. Um, so when they, when they start the class, I tell them, you know, you're going to learn a lot of tech tools. Some of them you're going to use in your teaching. Some of them you'll never use again. And that is totally fine. We need to know what all the different possibilities of tech that we could use because we never know what kind of students we're going to have. And something may work for one and it might not work for another. So you need to have a variety in your tool belt. So I like to, hopefully they leave the class liking a few of the tools that they learned about in class. But also not only the tools, but confidence in using them. Um, Oftentimes like this is the beginning of the semester. So I'm getting a couple messages saying I'm really bad with technology or me and tech, I'm not very tech savvy. And I've gotten that so many times at the beginning of the semester, but by the time the end of the semester rolls around, students usually feel more confident because they've messed around with the tools. They've had experience using them um, from the teacher perspective, from the student perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their confidence has, has increased. I even had a student who, um, I think she graduated four, four years ago where she took my class. She's like, Oh, I'm so bad with computers. Dr. Fest. I'm like, Oh, it's cool. We'll work it out together. You will get this. If you need anything, stop by. Um, and at the end of the class, she graduated and everything. Um, she's like, I'm going to go get my instructional tech certification. So how Aww, cool is that? Wow. So like just really building that confidence. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really neat. Um, but I think another thing that I want them to learn and take away is in the vein of technology is using it for, for a purpose and mm-hmm. not just, it's so easy to get sucked into, oh my gosh, I just learned about this cool tool. It's so glittery and shiny and I'm going to use it tomorrow. 
you know, well, how is it going to enhance your lesson? How is it going to engage your students? How is it going to add to it? Like, what, what is it just going to be one more thing that you're just throwing in there and trying to like shoehorn it in? Or mm-hmm. is it really meaningful? Um, so try to really um, hit that home with them. Right. Uh, and in this day and age, tech is not an event. We're getting out the computers, everybody. Woo! No, it should already be there seamlessly, dude. Don't be that person. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but more importantly, you know, yeah, they can take those three things, you know, confidence, some tech tools and know how to use them. But I want them to also take away that growth mindset and never, ever, ever stop learning. It doesn't end when you walk across that stage at graduation. It doesn't end, you know, at the PhD. I am learning every day from and with my students. And it is fantastic. I can't imagine being the teacher I was four years ago. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. that's, you know, you always have to grow and learn. Um And then I also hope, I really hope that they, at some point in their college career, go to an ed camp, a workshop, or a conference, just something to get out of the classroom and try something new and meet some new people, get out of the college bubble and just try to meet, try to meet new people and network and engage in conversation and learn something while you're at it. So yeah, so that's what I hope, I hope they take away from the class at the end of their four years. I definitely have to agree with them, you know, being a lifelong learner having a growth mindset because, man, every time I think I have the technology down, something is changing. You know, Google Classroom just changed up how it does things. I'm like, okay, I need to learn how this works now. And we use an LMS called Jupyter for like our gradebook and formative assessments. And they just switched up how they do things. And so it's like, all right, well, I got to learn this. And, Hmm? you know, I think a lot of them need to also have some grit here because they have to be willing to not get flustered, you know, to like calm themselves down, not get flustered when the tech doesn't work because inevitably the Wi-Fi will go out. Um, None of of the Chromebooks will be charged. Something will happen and the kids shouldn't see you losing it, I think. Um, And also one thing that I love to do is have the students show me something I don't know how to do. So for example, on my iPad, I didn't know that there was the split screen option when it first came out. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I hate switching back and forth. They're like, Miss LaPree, you can split screen. And I'm like, what? Come and show me that. <laughs> and they love to be the teacher. They love to be the one who knows more. So I think for your students, when they go out, you know, maybe by the time they go into the classroom, again, things have switched up from what they were used to Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. let themselves be vulnerable in front of the students because they can be teachers too. And that empowers them. Right. And being okay with asking, you know what guys, uh, I think I have this wrong. Can you help me out? Um, yeah, I I think that's fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. And especially like in middle and high school, they, they are just ready to be your boss for once and have some power. (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) They love it. I'm super jealous of what you do. I love it. And I hope someday I can also work with pre-service teachers because that's, that's my jam. It is a lot of fun. It sounds like it. I mean, you get to shape, you get to shape so many more lives because you are helping teachers as opposed to you just being in front of students. You're right. So like how many students they they impact and then it just keeps continuing and just and like the 
the ripples just keep exactly. going. It's, it's amazing. You need to get into this gig. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's, it really is a lot of fun. And every day is different. And it's challenging. It's rewarding. It's exciting. And you never know what kind of impact your your teaching will make on on students four or five years uh, from now, whenever they're whenever your student is teaching somebody it is it is it's so cool. Well, and I can totally tell from your book, the pride that you have in your students, your former students, just the stories, the way that you told the stories. Oh, I was like, these are like her babies. Like you, <laughs> the way that you described that, I was like, it was really heartwarming just because you were just totally bragging about how awesome they were. And I was like, oh, they're published too then, you know, they're, Absolutely. they're famous too. Yeah. I actually had, I, so in the book launched on Wednesday, I had a couple of students like, can you sign my copy when it comes? I'm like, only if you sign mine. Uh, they were like, <laughs> so that was really cool. I, like my goal is to send my, send like my copy to like all the alumni who are in the book and like, Hey, can you sign this too? So like, so eventually like I have everybody's signature on there. That is like my, my goal. I know. You it's definitely weird, need that. I yeah. Like and it. you can like display I totally it. Yeah. yeah. Just like take out all the binding except for the page that they signed. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, that'd be so cool. So for those of you who are listening, Sam has an awesome treat for us that has to do with her book. So Sam, can you tell us a little more about this contest? Absolutely. So I'd love to give away a signed copy of Edu Magic to one of your lucky listeners. <laughs> you guys, if you are interested in winning a copy of Sam's book, you can go to teachersneedteachers.com forward slash 21 and you can enter the contest there. And also, for those of you who go and get Sam's book, we would love for you to tweet out using the hashtag edumagic all over the place so that we can spread the love and the edumagic Absolutely. around yes. Instagram and the Twitterverse and just really celebrate education and these wonderful new teachers that are coming out into our field. Absolutely. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you so much. And <laughs> where can people reach out to you if they want to, you know, get a hold of you? Absolutely. So uh, my website's good, sfesich.com. Um, and I'm at sfesich on Twitter and Instagram. So that's where I'm most active. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and put links to that in my show notes and on my website as well. And Sam, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh my gosh, Kim, the honor. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a, so much fun. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And now I feel like when I listen to you in my car, you know, it's, it's, I can just remember this experience. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm sure that you guys can probably tell, but I had a lot of fun talking to Sam and about her book. And I just got so much out of that conversation. So here are my key takeaways. First of all, it's really important for you as a new teacher going out into the field of education to connect, to connect in multiple ways. This includes going to conferences, which she really encourages you to do. And I encourage you to do so as well, even though I kind of freak out a little bit at conferences. That's just my own hang up. But I think that as a beginning teacher, you would really benefit from going to a conference. And she also mentioned reaching out and thinking about your digital presence. And this means reaching out through Instagram or through Twitter 
and to engage with other educators and other people within your subject area. I definitely think that this is important, especially when you're just starting out. You need to be around like-minded people who you can commiserate with, who you can bounce ideas off of, and just in general support each other during this time. And these can be people who are beginning teachers such as yourself or veteran teachers who have wisdom that you're seeking out. Something else that really stuck out to me was this idea of growth mindset. And I'm sure you've heard this a lot, but it really, really does apply to teaching. You have to see this as a growing process that it's going to organically grow and get better. You're going to get better, definitely. And you have to just kind of take your lips along the way and know that the learning never stops. And I even told you a story about when I recently messed up and I was like, oh my goodness, I should know this by now. But then I realized, you know what, Kim, it's always a new set of people in front of you every year and the skills that they come with are going to also vary. So you have to pivot and you have to adjust to the students in front of you. Now, don't forget, if you'd like to win a copy of Sam's new book, Edgy Magic, you just need to head over to the show notes if you're listening in a podcast player, or you can go to teachersneedteachers.com forward slash 21. And I have a link there where you can enter the contest and it's going to run for a week from the time that this is released. And I really hope that you take advantage of that because the book is very inspirational. She has some great stories and great advice for pre-service and new teachers. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really hope that you've been enjoying my podcast. I really try to find relevant topics that I think are going to help new and beginning teachers. And I I take a lot of time to really think about it, especially I think about topics seasonally. So like what's happening right now at the time of this podcast, it's September. So in my mind, I'm thinking, what are teachers worrying about or thinking about in September? Or if you're a new teacher, sometimes you don't even know that you should be thinking about this right now. It takes some experience to know what to look out for. So if you do enjoy this podcast, I really would love it if you could just share it with other people. You can use, you know, the little share link on your phone and just, you know, let other people know on your social media accounts and say, hey, Teachers Need Teachers podcast, woo! Um, you know, and sometimes you have to explain to people even what a podcast is because they're like, what does that mean? What is it? Is it radio? What is it? And a lot of times people don't know what it is. And when they try it out, they're like, dang, I really like podcasts. So if you could just share it, I'd really love that. And that would really help me out in terms of getting the word out so that I can support new and beginning teachers. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you have a fabulous week. Thanks for listening to the Teachers Need Teachers podcast. Love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcast or Google Play to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.